0: This week, a conversation with author, designer, and educator, Carla Diana, whose work focuses on the impact of future technologies. She's designed a range of products, from robots to connected home appliances, and the last time we spoke was just after the publication of her book, My Robot Gets Me, How Social Design Can Make Robots More Human. Well, now she's working on a new book about what it will take to get us to move away from relying on individually owned personal vehicles toward a future where we rely more on mass transit powered by autonomous and shared vehicles. And she says she's been inspired, at least in
1: part, by the fact that she now lives outside of Detroit. I mean, I've always taken an interest in public transportation because I grew up in New York City and then lived in many other places in the United States and recognized how different my experience growing up was. I mean, I literally grew up 50 steps from a subway station, you know, and then I went to high school in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue across the street from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I just felt like... That subway brought me to the world in a way. And then moving to Detroit, I actually went to graduate school here at Cranbrook Academy of Art, where I'm running this 4D design program now. And I remember, this would have been more than 22 years ago, having watched a documentary about how Detroit had fabulous public transportation in the twenties and thirties and that, you know, there were interests that ran that those businesses into the ground and in favor of a private automobile. And four years ago, I got invited to come back here to create and run this program for D design, which is all focused on technology and robotics. And my last book is my robot gets me, you know, so transportation hasn't been my thing, but being in Detroit, you cannot help but think about transportation and cars. Every other person I meet who's in designer engineering is involved in the automotive industry. So it is definitely top of mind. And what's been very inspirational is watching the emergence of autonomous vehicles and thinking about how, when talking about public transportation in Detroit, people have always thrown up their hands than saying well we don't have infrastructure there isn't anything that can be done and the advent of autonomous vehicles seems to me like a really pivotal moment that could bring new solutions if people are open to the idea of shared transit publicly sponsored transit and so I'm involved very much with technology and robotics like I have a colleague at Cornell Tech who works very closely with autonomous vehicles and all of these friends of mine I have a, you know great designer friends who are working in the realm of autonomous vehicles but a lot of what the automotive industry is promoting is a vision of your car just like you have it that takes you in your isolated state from one place to another, it would just be autonomous and it would park itself. And instead, there are lots of visions coming from urban planners and architects and designers that are completely different and involve a shared vehicle that is part of the at least digital infrastructure of the city that could become something like a train. You know, a number of them could, here we have Woodward Avenue, which is a main thoroughfare, the the drag. There could be several of these vehicles that link up together and become a train that goes down the most common route and then breaks off to the last mile. So, you know, there are a lot of the ways that traditional public transportation wouldn't work because of lack of infrastructure that can now be addressed By autonomous vehicles and and software solutions, kind of a software train that calculates where people need to be when they need to be there and pools resources. So that's what I've been excited about and what the next book that I'm working on is about. So that's interesting to me. Let's kind of break this down. So
0: you said the big problem in a lot of these places like Detroit, and I can imagine where I live as well, it's not like people are going to spend billions of dollars to build underground tunnels and build a a big subway system. So what would make one of these connected groups of autonomous vehicles, like like a big long bus made up of little small ones Mm. that are run autonomously, why is that better? than what we have now, just going and getting on a single bus. Why would that be better mass transit than what we have now or different or make the user experience more pleasant or something like that?
1: Right. So there is the possibility to have this combination of personalized transport and group transport that's very different than the bus system that we have now where if you wanted to go and a half hour outside of your home in a route that nobody else is taking, you could still have this vehicle that you summon that takes you there. It's not magic, but it is harnessing the value of software to send a vehicle for a very specialized situation, as well as for these pseudo trains of common routes. Okay. So for example, like when I lived in DC before
0: I came here and the first job I had was about 17 miles from where I lived, which moving from Seattle to there, I figured, well, 17 miles is no big deal. I mean, there'll be traffic, but how could it possibly be that bad? I live on the West coast. How could it be worse? Yeah. Then I moved to D.C. and I found out exactly how much worse it could be. And I also realized that this new gig that I took was not on the metro. The metro system went as far out as like maybe five miles away from where it was I needed to go. So I had to fight through Beltway traffic. It was so awful. Oh, I bet. So, but if you had something like this going that you were talking about, maybe I could take the metro as far as it went. And then I could get on this autonomous vehicle afterwards. And that could take me like the extra five miles that I couldn't get there on the train, right? Something like that?
1: Yes, exactly. That's exactly what my research is uncovering. And the kind of designer that I am, I mean, I'm really a product and interaction designer, we tend to think of things. And even like I said, this vision that the automotive industry promotes is of this car as a a thing, right? Car as a commodity or transportation as a commodity. Instead, we can think of transportation as a service and you know, it's a combination of things. It's not a throwing out of the train that exists or, but what it is, is, is a throwing out of the private automobile. But yeah, you know, and even in that circumstance that you described, it's, it's a combination of things. There are folks that are working on systems that is commonly being called mobility as a service, MOS, which is a shorthand for a concept of all modes of transportation, coming under one shared umbrella so that you might have an interface that you bring up on your mobile device where you look for your route and it shows you a, a number of different things. You know, like in New York City, maybe there's a ferry in the midst of it and would give you the option in terms of time, in terms of pricing. You could take a an e-bike that would cost a little bit more than a regular bike that would cost a little bit less than an auto- this autonomous vehicle that would take you privately, that would cost less than an autonomous vehicle that you waited 15 more minutes for that would take you along with 10 other people. Okay.
0: So all that sounds like really cool for big cities, say like DC or, or New York or Boston or LA or wherever, but for places like here in the Midwest where I live and where you live close to Detroit, one, and I can't imagine people wanting to give up, their regular cars. And two, if they did, I can't imagine that they would be able to get where they needed to go because we just don't have a system set up like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To me, it sounds like this maybe could work in the big cities in the not too distant future, but I don't see it filtering out into the hinterlands anytime soon. Do you think that that will change or no?
1: So first of all, I think that there are enormous hurdles and that's part of why I want to write a book. You know, like when I, when I talk to folks about this, I can see, they look at me like I'm crazy and what give up our private cars. Like, and in Detroit, you want to, you want to propose this in in Detroit, or I mean, it's <laughs> you know, like the. I had a friend say, You're in the wrong city, and I said, No, I'm in exactly the right city. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the, the belly of the beast, the belly of the beast. That's what I'm for. It <laughs> telling my students so people's relationship with the private automobile and the concept of deserving a car, earning a car, having a car choosing that car so that it represents you like my car is my car my car is actually orange you know like and uh you know and I love that cuz nobody else has an orange car like so but <laughs> right? um but yeah giving up all that it's a it's a big shift in mentality that you know we would ask people to do so that's one of the biggest challenges with the book is where's the benefit because ultimately People have to feel like something's better for them, not worse, right? You're saying, okay, wait. So now instead of just going out my door whenever I want, I've got to like go to an app and then I got to, I got to walk a half a mile and I got to wait 15 minutes. Like no way, you know? (laughs) So that's one big challenge is how to get folks to think about collectivism in a sense, you know, like what's going to be better for everyone and re- and and really the i think you at the beginning of this conversation you asked about inspiration the inspiration for me is that i found community to mean the way that community, I've seen communities form in New York City. And I've lived in other cities. I've lived in Savannah. I've lived in San Francisco. I've spent six months in Rome. I spend a lot of time in Milan because my family is Italian and spent, you know, did residencies in France. And I think that I'm going to have to challenge myself to really illustrate how wonderfully free it feels to not have a car all the years that i didn't have a car i remember i had a partner at one point and we gave up our cars because we had moved to new york from atlanta or something like that and and he he just kept telling people we got so much life back like so much like i don't have to think about registration or gas or or you know we just got all that back and we would do car sharing when we needed a car for a bigger trip So, you know, I think that's certainly, it's an enormous challenge. And the other part of it is honestly, I'm still in beginning stages of a a lot of the research. And I do think that folks who live in the hinterlands, like I I have a good friend who lives in Oxford, which is, you know, I'm already 30 minutes from Detroit and that is another 30, 35 minutes north of, let's say downtown Detroit, the city. But I'm very passionate about boating, so I've been actually looking at. This is is another inspiration. Like I found myself last summer almost buying this Land Rover because I had googled, you know, what is the smallest vehicle that can still. Tow three thousand pounds because I just felt like I want to get this little car so that I can sail and like different parts of the coast of Michigan. But then, how can I still park downtown? And I was like, you know. And but like I had this you know, bright orange Land Rover picked out, and I was like, I'm I'm gonna get this and like you know roll up with it. And you know, and I've been thinking about that scenario because I was thinking. Yeah, like I got this like huge desire to have this bigger, bigger, better, stronger car. But then I thought about like the number of times, like would there be a system where we had again like all these diverse vehicles where then, you know, I would there would I could summon this vehicle for going downtown, but it would be a different one for towing my boat and I would just understand that the towing the boat one requires a little bit more pre-thinking and planning but I don't do it as often you know I I think I really again honestly need to do my research for that hinterlands situation because while I think the vehicle would go the distance I don't know how much time one would have to wait for that vehicle to to get to them and i don't really know the numbers and whether it's autonomous or not right is kind of irrelevant the question is the shared public resource and it's a big wicked gnarly problem and i i, I don't have an answer for that yet right right cuz you know like i'm thinking
0: for example for you, you know, and maybe for myself too, because I'm thinking about what my next vehicle will be. And I like having a small car, you know, it's, it's worked for me for a long time. I get great gas mileage. It's small. I can park anywhere, et cetera, et cetera. But there's times when I would like to have a bigger vehicle so I could carry stuff in the back Mm. that I can't in my regular car. And from time to time, I tell myself, well, I could just rent a truck or something. And that would certainly cost me way less in the long run than ponying up to buy a much bigger vehicle that I'm never going to use except right. for every now and then when I want to carry a bunch of stuff. Right. Right. With right. higher gas mileage and all right. of that. Right. So, but right now it's like, it's such a hassle. It's like, okay, then I got to like get a hold of the car rental company and are they going to have that and et cetera, et cetera. So if in the future there was a way that for my day-to-day needs, I could have just your basic small vehicle and then if I really needed, it, like you said, you know, you wanted to go boating, you could just get on the app and then you could just summon this thing that you could tow your boat thing with. That would be... Mm. That'd be great. But if it's a nice weekend in the summer, maybe everybody else and their cousin is going to want to do the same thing. And there's only so many of those.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so that is an issue. And people have this emotional connection to their cars. I remember as you were talking about that you wanted a certain kind of car and the branding. I was watching this car commercial the other day and I was just laughing because it was just the most absurd thing. It was for this high-end electric vehicle that I thought was lovely. And I thought, wow, isn't that fantastic? It's an electric vehicle and it looks cool. And their whole pitch was don't buy it because electric, buy it because it's sexy. And I thought, well, that's stupid. I don't want an electric vehicle because it's sexy. I want an electric vehicle because it's electric.
1: Right, right. (laughs) See, this is the thing that I think is really The crux of the issue is this emotional connection we have with the automobile, with our private automobile, with it being an extension of home. And and it's, it's part of what I think needs to be torn down in our collective consciousness, because... A lot of the My Robot Gets Me book is about the emotional connection that we as designer, like as a designer, that's our jam is, you know, really working hard to make people feel comfortable and make them feel. I mean, that book is all about having an an actual rapport and relationship with. A device you know like that this microphone might actually tilt towards me and understand me and turn itself off and respond to me and 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 you wind up liking it more and feeling closer to it emotionally like all these kind of things but i just think we can do away with that like there's so much that we can do to benefit society and build communities and benefit the environment like the that consciousness that awoke in you and with that ad right it's just like wait a minute, (laughs) what the heck? And I think there's so much benefit to like walking a half a mile and having a hub. Uh, Yeah, again, the hinterland situation does not get addressed. Well, and when
0: you think hinterlands, I mean, you got to understand, I mean, certainly I'm sure you've gotten out to other communities in Michigan, but I mean, hinterland covers 99.99999% of the United States. I mean- everybody other than in the really big cities like needs their car to get where they need to go. I mean, you just do. Right. I mean, well,
1: they need a car. They need a car. Do they need their car? Well, you need a car. Yeah. Because you just, or a form of transportation, a form of transportation, let's say. I mean, yeah. I know I'm being really pedantic right now, but but
0: well, yeah, I mean, and I get that. I mean, it's, it's going to take a shift, but um, one you like to get back to, let's say this electric car thing, I found that really compelling because I really want an electric car right now. I mean, I really, really want one. I think it would work for me. Fantastic. But they're really, really expensive. They're way more expensive now than a gas-powered car. I don't want to get another gas guzzler if I don't have to. And I just keep wondering if Toyota or any of the other car makers want us to buy this new technology, then why do they make it so expensive? Why don't they make it so that the average person can afford it? Because right now people are looking at it and they're going, well, okay, but it's $10,000 more than the comparable one that's gas or that's a hybrid. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and they're, what they're doing is they're shifting the burden onto the government to give you this tax break. And it's like, well, you know, the tax break is nice, but it's not the taxes that are the issue. It's the sticker price that's the issue. So if if technologists want us to adopt the technology, then they have to make it affordable. The bottom line is people vote with their pocketbooks. And Mm. if it's cheaper for them and just as easy for them or relatively easy for them to go in the direction you're talking about, they will. But until it becomes affordable and convenient enough, they're not gonna.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a lot of, the bottom line, and I mean, uh, one of my big concerns with it and with the advent of autonomous vehicles is that it will be rolled out by the automotive industry as private vehicles that folks who have the most means will be able to afford and other folks won't. And then we further the divide between the haves and the have nots, you know, and, and well, sure folks who can get to their jobs and, and the car just parks itself really easily. So now their commute is 15 minutes while the other person who's driving around trying to find a spot. Yeah. All of that aspect, but. I think that's a big quandary for technology in general. The first products that come out cost more because they're the first ones. They're the ones that the company is taking the risk on. They're the ones that the company invested on, but it also allows the people with means to have advantages.
0: Right, right. I understand that. So as we wrap up then, tell us when, where are you in your process then and, and how soon might we be seeing this new book then?
1: I'm pretty early in the process. Um, I have a publisher who is very keen on making this a reality. So we're working together. Well, you know,
0: as you consider this and do your research, think about looking into things here where I live in Akron, Ohio. I mean, this is at least traditionally was the home of the tire industry. Mm-hmm. Goodyear is still here. They're doing a lot of research and building new tires now specifically for a shared and autonomous vehicles. The tires themselves can tell yeah. you when they need to be changed or need air or whatever. And
1: right, right. That's fascinating. They,
0: they get different kind of wear on those shared vehicles, mm-hmm. like the ones that are out at the airports and things now. And then also, there's this big public outreach now going on in the city, trying to ask people, what do you want to do with this 30 acres of land that was freed up when they tore down what they called the inner belt, which mm-hmm. was this mm-hmm. road that went nowhere, that they built it in the 70s in urban renewal and they tore down these neighborhoods and I mean there was riots in the city because I mean they put people out of their homes and the the government only gave them like $5,000 a piece to replace them and you know it was bad. It was really bad. It disrupted the city and then you had this big road and then nobody hardly ever used it and then they just tore it down because you know it was pointless and it was big and it was old and nobody was using it and so they tore it down. Now they've got 30 acres of land and they're asking people what do you want to see there yeah instead of a road right you know they're talking about well maybe putting in apartments or parks or whatever Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah. so you know you've got a, a city that was literally one built around outfitting individual cars. I mean, that was the whole point of our economy. Of course, it's diversified since then. And a lot of the rubber shops moved out of town, as you know, moved to other places, but also the disruption of these roads and all that kind of thing. So it's like, it's a whole cultural shift that had big impact on this city. And then when all the rubber shops moved out, then of course, everybody became unemployed. And so then you've got Akron, Cleveland, Detroit, Mm -hmm. Youngstown, Dayton, all the cities in Ohio, when the auto industry decided to move to Mexico and other places. So they've had this outsized influence on our area. When things change again, there's also going to be an outsized influence on our area and everybody else. So hopefully it will be good consequences as opposed to all these bad unintended Mm -hmm. consequences that came. Because every time there's a hiccup in the automotive industry, Ohio and the jobs here and the people that live here there's this huge spasm and it's usually bad for us.
1: Mm-hmm. So it'll
0: be interesting to see how things shake out in the future if that'll be more positive. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for that. I'll, I'm looking, of course, at Detroit. Detroit has a similar project here. And it makes me think, I mean, the Bronx was really torn apart by the Cross Bronx Expressway mm-hmm. that you know really destroyed communities. And it's interesting to think about. And I think that part of my project too is to get beyond my new yorker mindset and my rise right. of the creative class richard florida everybody's going to move to city's mindset and think about it so right thank you. right well excellent well thank you for taking the time with me well so thank gonna... you for the opportunity to share my new uh newest uh, obsession your newest adventure yeah. that's exciting
0: <laughs> that was author designer and educator carla diana And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.